Hey, welcome to Calvary. I'm Torben and I volunteer on one of the worship teams here. We want this to be a place where you can come and worship, get to know God and connect with our community. If you're new here, we can't wait to get to know you. Feel free to message us on social media or text the word hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. This is a great first step to joining our church family. We also want you to experience daily personal encounters with God, discipleship, and community. If you want to learn more about our culture here, deepen your relationship with God and find a small group that you can really connect with. We'd encourage you to talk with one of our volunteers or staff after the service. We want to let you know what's going to happen over the next hour. First, our band is going to lead us in worship that helps us understand who God is and express our love and affection towards Him. Afterwards, we're going to share some things about what's going on here at Calvary, and then one of our pastors will be sharing a message out of the book of Acts. I am so glad you're here. Now, I invite you to come and join us as we worship together. The Spirit of God, powerful beyond definition, described as a wind, violent and forceful, bringing about new birth. You can learn to hear him, the sound of eternal revival. You can come to feel him rushing through you, from you. Some feel him strange, but to those who know him, he is the very source of life itself. Not sure what some of your dinner conversations are like. There was a season when all of our kids were at home still that we would ask around the, table, the dinner table, where did you see God today? Lorianne and I, it was, our, it was our intention to try to help our kids see life from God's perspective, that they would view their circumstances, their challenges, their peer pressure, their, their classes, their, their sports, their teachers, even their hurts from God's perspective. And this is a practice that, that we continue to do today. Well, we are near the end of a series in the book of Acts that we've called Spirit-Filled Community. As we reflect on the early church, how the Holy Spirit's filling and empowerment changed the lives of those who chose to follow Jesus Christ for who he is and what he's done, it was the Holy Spirit that produces a kind of change in these people's lives and in their experience of community that was transformational. You will read all through the pages of Scripture, examples and instructions for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit and what that can look like. And this portion here in Acts chapter 2 describes for us many of the essential elements of a church community required to keep in step with him. To be a community that is filled and guided by the Holy Spirit is a church that I want to be a part of. It's the best way to live life. And it's the best way to represent him well to the people around us. Here is the text that we have been meticulously going through and exploring these last five to six weeks. If you have your Bible, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Our text today, it examines verse 43. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. If you have your sermon notes, perhaps you picked them up on your way in here today. We'll be following along. If you don't have one and would like a copy, if you could just raise your hand, and Usher will will bring one to you now. While they're doing that, let's pray. God, I'm so grateful that your word is alive and active Holy Spirit, that you wrote this through, you inspired it through so many different authors so many years ago, and yet it is alive and active. It is powerful. It can divide our spirit and soul. It can go to the very core of who we are, and it helps us understand who you are. It helps us understand your call on our life and how we get to walk with you, with the Holy Spirit, in how you want to glorify yourself through us. And so may your word come alive for us today. I commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing we see here is that spirit-filled community reflects the power of God by walking in awe of God. Luke describes the environment of their church community as a deep sense of awe came over them all. Now, awe is a deep reverential respect, and it is mixed with both fear and wonder. The only way to gain a sense of awe of God, I believe, is to actually perceive who he is and what he's doing. You see, my concern is that even for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, our view can be so earthbound, focused on the problems that we face here, distracted by lures and pleasures of this life. Could be money, travel, sex, partying, gaming, could be social media. What's yours? Some of us put our value in having life so well ordered that nothing can go wrong and no one can hurt us again. You know, for others, our security can be in our own self-protection, our own ambition, our job. For many of us, our relationships. But where is God in all this? Are we even looking for him? The Apostle Paul teaches in Ephesians 6, 6 to 7, he says, For he, that is God, raised us from the dead, that is everyone who surrenders their life to Jesus Christ, along with Christ, and, get this, seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. 
So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and his kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Jesus Christ. You see, we still live in this world. And we still are bound by some of the physical realities of this world. But spiritually, we are already seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly places. Now, many people, and I used to be one of them, think that this physical world is the primary view of life. It's the most important. The belief is that we are physical people with a spiritual experience. But the Apostle Paul is saying here at Ephesians that it's just the opposite. We are spiritual beings with a physical experience. We are spiritual beings temporarily living in this tent that will one day die and rot away. Scripture teaches us that it's the kingdom of heaven that is more important than the kingdom of this world. For anyone who follows Jesus Christ, our perspective, our values, our view of how life works best to, is to be viewed from our position in heavenly places. That is far above and far beyond the temporal realm of the kingdom of this world. This is who we are. For all of us, we are deeply loved and cared for by our heavenly Father. God demonstrated his love. He demonstrated these things through sending Jesus and his suffering and his death. But for all who respond to God's love and follow Jesus Christ, we are no longer the trash of this earth, in case you happen to think that you are. Even though we are still broken in many ways, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. This is a part of our identity. And if you've been walking with Jesus for many years and you still view yourself as a sinner who was saved by grace, then I would challenge you to take the biblical view that we are saints who still sin. This place in the heavenly realms is a position of high honor, much like being seated at the VIP table. We have been given a royal privilege of being enthroned with Jesus Christ, and one day we'll participate in his glory. We will reign with him over the new earth when he returns to make all things new. In light of this truth, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He writes, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Though we did nothing to deserve it, nothing to earn it, if we let this spiritual truth soak in, sink in, it will change the way we think, and it'll change the way we live. 
It'll begin to transform us from the inside out. So, are we simply stuck viewing life from the middle of a swamp? The place where we're overwhelmed with anxiety and worry and sickness and a poverty mindset. Perhaps even this Christmas, we're, we're stuck in, the, in, the over, in feeling overwhelmed by the broken relationships and the addictions that keep getting the best of us. Or are we looking for God? Where is he in this mess? How is he seeking to reveal his presence and his glory in our situation? How is he wanting to show his power by providing for us? By protecting us? By caring for us? Can we view this life as though we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, looking down, going, okay, God, uh, what do you want to do here? I'm feeling overwhelmed. I don't have what it takes. How do you want to display your glory in the midst of this? It's a very different perspective than when we feel like we're in a pit looking up, hopeless. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to change your perspective? Are you looking for God? When we see God at work, that's his protection. That might be his provision. Maybe it's a sense of his presence. Maybe it's wisdom when we need it or direction. Maybe it's healing. Perhaps it's a deeper connection with him or with others. Perhaps it's seeing the change that he's creating in you or in someone that you love. And we acknowledge that we could not do what's happening on our own. We're just not smart enough. We're not powerful enough. We're not wise enough. We're not influential enough. We cannot do what we just see God doing. Then, in those moments, we are filled with awe of God. Because it's him going above and beyond. It's him doing through us what we could never, and we know that we can never do this on our own. We become overwhelmed by the goodness of God, by his love, by his power, and we worship. Now, it could be an inexpressible joy and excitement it could be a sobering reverence and silence. You know, the other day at our staff devotions, we were considering this question of where are we seeing God at life, in your life and in your ministry. And one of our staff shares how they saw God just this last week uh, through a transformation that he is doing in a person that they deeply care about. What was our response around the table, around the group? Well, it was awe, and it was worship. You know, when, as an elder board, we cut $350,000 from our budget last year, as Byron has just been talking about, so that we could aggressively pay down the mortgage for our children's wing 
And we see God provide financially for, for you, for us, our people, and for us as a church. I can tell you, we sit there, and we are filled with awe, and we worship. When we hear of small groups and microchurches here at Calvary, inviting people who don't know Christ yet into their group, and they're exploring Scripture together, they're sharing Christ together, and then they're baptizing these brand new followers of Jesus Christ in their group. I tell you, we worship. A deep sense of awe came over them all. When I hear my kids, when I hear one of my kids seeking God in the midst of their struggle, seeing his hand and his power at work in their life, and they choose to trust, they choose to obey him at a deeper level than they perhaps ever have before, I can tell you, I am filled with awe, and I worship. So before we move on, consider for a moment, where have you seen God in your life? Spirit-filled community reflects awe of God. Do you walk this way? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ today and you're not seeing God work, you don't seem to see what he's doing, will you at least ask him to open your eyes so that you can see what he sees? Will you seek him to change your perspective from this world to the heavenly place from which you actually sit with Jesus? I want to give you a moment to think about these things. There's going to, right now, there's going to be some questions on the screen. I just, I want us to just process. So let me pray, and then we'll reflect on these. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us now? Would you do a work within us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. A spirit-filled community walks in awe of God. Why have we taken so much time in this first point of being filled with, with awe of him because it is absolutely essential. It is critical. It's the foundation for this next piece. A spirit-filled community also reflects God by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 43. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. A miracle is an extraordinary and welcome event that is not explainable by nature or by science, 
and is therefore attributed to divine action. Now, I don't know how much teaching you've, had, you've received or reading that you've done regarding miraculous signs and wonders. If you are new to church or just checking out whether to follow Jesus Christ or not, it may be helpful for you to understand that this issue of miracles is controversial within the Christian community today. Miraculous signs and wonders are mentioned literally from cover to cover in the Bible, but the controversy is around whether the things, these things happen today. So let's explore this for a minute. There are two primary but general positions. On the one side of a spectrum, there is what is called cessationism. The word literally means to cease. It means that certain spiritual gifts, and specifically miracles, speaking in tongues, and healing, ceased. They stopped when the apostles and their associates passed away in the first century. This perspective takes 2 Corinthians 12.12 as describing the only purpose for these things. It says this, The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, miracles, and some would include in there tongues and healing as well, were done among you with great perseverance. The cessationist view believes those sign, those revelatory gifts, were primary proof that a person was an apostle. In other words, these gifts were given by the Holy Spirit to prove the authenticity of their message of Jesus Christ through them. And therefore, when the apostles and their associates died, the need and the use of these gifts died with them. On the other side of the spectrum is what's called continuationism. It simply means that all the gifts have continued uninterrupted since the day of Pentecost back in Acts chapter 1. In other words, these gifts are still in operation today just as they were in the early church. If they're mentioned in Scripture, they're available today. This view holds that there is no direct teaching in Scripture that suggests any spiritual gift, including tongues and miracles and healing, have ceased and therefore all are operational today. This view takes 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, literally. It says this, A spiritual gift is given to each of us, those are followers of Jesus Christ, so we can help each other. And after the Apostle Paul gives a list of examples in verses 8 to 10, he then writes in verse 11, It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. The argument that continuationism makes is that miracles, healing, words of knowledge, prophecy, are all mentioned in the list there in verses 9 and 10. And perhaps if today is your Sabbath, you can go and study this passage for yourself. And there is no indication from the Holy Spirit that any of the gifts in that list would become unnecessary, that they would cease in only a few short years. If some of the gifts on that list were soon to be unnecessary, they ask, 
then why would Paul encourage the Corinthian believers to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy? That's 1 Corinthians 14.1. Now, let me be very clear. I don't believe that either view affects our salvation. There are sincere brothers and sisters in Christ on both sides of this debate. I do think that our stance and our belief in this area may affect our experience in the kingdom of God and also our effectiveness, but certainly not our salvation. And if I'm straight with you, I know there are distortions on both sides of this debate. Cessationism can be distorted and lead to unbelief in the power of God in what he does today. Continuationism can be distorted by glorying in the gift and the miracle instead of in God himself. So whatever view you take, I think it's important that we consider two very important principles in the kingdom of God that we are all called to grow in. Two principles. The first one is this. It's given to us by Jesus. Let's briefly consider his instruction in the Lord's Prayer. He says that we are to pray, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, may your kingdom come, speaking to Heavenly, God, uh, Heavenly Father, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we explored before, the kingdom of God is everywhere that Jesus reigns. It is a spiritual kingdom that manifests itself in the physical realm. When Jesus, what Jesus is saying here is that, is that we are to be seeking God, his will and his reign to become evident in every area of life, every sphere of life here on earth as his reign is already evident in heaven. May his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is this only for salvation? Or is there more? Well, I believe it certainly is for salvation, but is it just so that people camp just inside the gate of the kingdom of God and they got through salvation and they stay there the rest of their life? Or does God instead want people to go far into the kingdom of God, walking in the authority of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit so that his reign bear in the physical realm, in every severe of influence that we find ourselves in? Well, I believe so. But it takes eyes to see these things, spiritual eyes that perceive what God is doing where his reign and his kingdom are not yet evident. How he seeks to work through us to bring his reign, to bring his domain into that place. Is there an area of your life where Jesus isn't calling the shots yet? He's not on the throne in that area. Is there a severe of influence in your life that 
could use the principles of the kingdom of God to bring glory to God. You know, one of the reasons Lorianne was involved in our hockey association when our kids were growing up, we were a part of it because we were there to bring righteousness into an environment that was dominated by very different values. We wanted to see God's glory shine in that arena. Second principle that we are all called to grow in is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Paul writes, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. The Apostle Paul is calling us to understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those of us who believe. Do you fully grasp God's power? I can tell you, I don't. This is a growing edge for me because I want all of who God is. I want everything that's available in the Holy Spirit to be at work in my life, in my marriage, in my family, and in my ministry. I want to see all the works of God alive and active here at Calvary. Do you ponder what his power could look like in your classroom, in your place of work, in your senior's residence, in your small group? Have you considered how it could make a difference in the brokenness of your family relationships? What about in government and civic politics? Could we use the kingdom principles that God has laid out for how society is supposed to work? Could we use those principles there? <laughs> yeah. I believe there is no limit to God's power that can be demonstrated in our life, in a person's life who is willing to say, Jesus, whatever you want. Holy Spirit, lead me whatever you want. Where are we going today? The work of sanctification alone, that's the work of making us more and more like Jesus Christ, is an incredible act of the Holy Spirit's power to transform our lives. You know, I believe one of the greatest miracles is when God takes a broken and messed up person like myself, or any one of us for that matter, forgives our sin, and creates the life and character of Jesus Christ within us. That transformation is one of the greatest miracles possible, I believe. And does it include God doing miraculous signs and wonders through people? Or no, just other things. I believe it does. 
There are miracles that he uses people who follow Jesus Christ to accomplish. You see, Jesus exercised authority over nature, over sickness, disease, even death, infirmity. He exercised authority over evil spirits and unclean spirits. And he says this in John chapter 14, verse 12. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Now, I don't know if anyone... Anyone can deny that God does miracles today. Whether it's the transformation of a person who chooses to follow Jesus Christ, or perhaps it's the miraculous provision of a financial need. What about the miracle of saving a marriage or for healing of our bodies? You know, when I was in my early 20s on staff with Youth for Christ, running a Christian club right over here at J. Percy Page High School. I'm building a relationship with a kid named Muhammad. He's a practicing Muslim. We had many conversations about whether Jesus was God or not. One day, he, his girlfriend, and I are going to Subway just across the street there to the north of the school. And on this day, he has a nasty migraine. It was so bad that he's almost delusional. And as we sit down at the table and I go to pray for the food, I ask him if it's okay if I would lay my hand on him and pray to Jesus to heal his, his, his migraine. Well, he nods yes. And after I pray, I open up my eyes, and his eyes are as big as saucers. And he exclaims, it's gone. My migraine is gone. He says, this has never happened to me before. His healing was a miraculous sign to him that Jesus is God. See, this is what I call power evangelism, where God demonstrates his power to an individual in order to authenticate the message of Jesus Christ. I don't know where Muhammad is spiritually today, but he couldn't deny what he experienced from Jesus on that day. It reminds me of Romans 15, verse 19. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, Paul writes, I have fully presented the good news of Christ. Of a variety of miraculous signs and wonders, the miracle of healing is beginning to be commonplace for us around Calvary. I know of a business owner who prays healing for anyone who the Holy Spirit lays on his heart. Some, perhaps many, are healed. We have teams that pray through properties and see incredible deliverance and people coming to faith in Jesus Christ because of his power demonstrated in those moments. We've had headaches and earaches, back and neck pain, shoulders, arms, ankles, eye problems, countless flus and colds, cancer, and a ganglion cyst healed. Now, does that mean that every person that we pray for gets healed? Well, no, because we don't control God. God's in charge of, he's the one that decides 
what he's going to do in each situation. But just because he may say no, just because he may not do what we're asking him to do, doesn't mean that we don't ask or not act to bring his reign here on earth. You see, we still have the responsibility to understand his great power and work with the Holy Spirit in bringing his kingdom to earth. But again, I want you to hear this. The focus of any display of God's power is not us. It is not about us looking good. It's not about us propping ourselves up to feel significant or valued. God will not share his glory with anyone. And so if someone is hyped up on doing miracles because of what it will do for them personally, the enemy can quickly move in and distort the true work of God and turn people away from him. Perhaps we can all think of a situation that that has happened. Let us not aid the enemy in any way by seeking to steal God's glory. But let me ask you this. When there is a need around us that we become aware of, what do we do? Do we just feel pity for the person, breathe a short prayer, and then move on? I've done that. Or do we look to God and what he may want to do to meet that need? Do we expect that God has made us aware of this need because he intends to display his glory to them through us? Are we looking for God? Are we considering these things? Or because our life is just so busy and we've got so many things, the decorations we haven't done, the shopping we haven't gotten ready for Christmas, I don't have time for this interruption. What is God doing? Are our eyes stuck? Or are we rising above, seated beside Christ, with Christ, Looking down, going, okay, God, you can look after some of those things. I want to look after this situation because I expect you brought this to me on purpose because you want to do something here. How are you going to display your glory? This Christmas, are we looking for God and what he wants to do in a situation? What is the life change that he is looking to do in another person's life? How does he want to use you to do that? Now, I know we can be anywhere on this continuum that we're talking about here. And my responsibility is to call and to challenge all of us to walk deeper, to walk farther with God. But I'm not sure it's my responsibility to push too hard. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So I'm simply here, looking at the Word of God, 
What are you going to do about this? Are you walking with a sense of awe? Do you reflect that? Does that? Is that reflective at all in your life? What about the power of the Holy Spirit? I believe God is still in the business of miracles because they bring him glory. And I want his glory to be displayed through us here at Calvary. I'll say it again. I want everything available to us that is available through the Holy Spirit so that his glory shines to all those around us. A spirit-filled community reflects the power of God. And again, I'd like to give us just a few moments to reflect on where we're at with God on these things. So there's just going to be, Josh is going to come and just play some quiet music behind us. But can I encourage, let's do business with God during these moments. Holy Spirit, please come once again here now. Guide us. Speak to us. Encourage and strengthen us. Correct us. In Jesus' name.